I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello there, listener. Ryan here. Hope you enjoyed today's very special interview with Gary. A quick note that we recorded this episode just before Christmas. So before Wayne Rooney's sacking at Birmingham City, Gary had some really interesting thoughts on the Birmingham situation. So we wanted to keep them in the episode, but do bear that in mind. Right. Enjoy the show. And welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks, and we're joined on the show today by one of the most recognisable managers in recent championship history. Only five managers have ever seen more games than him in the second tier. He's been in charge of Birmingham, Derby, Stoke, and most recently Millwall. It's Gary Rowett. Gary, how are you? How are we doing, guys? Yeah, all good, thanks. Yeah, I didn't actually, I didn't actually know that, so it's... Uh... Yeah, it's news to me, but it's uh, not nice to hear, I suppose. That's what we do. That's what we do. We're here to educate people, including the people who are interviewing. I was chatting to my uh, co-host, Justin, before speaking to you today. And not only are you one of the most recognisable managers at this level, you're also one of the most well-dressed, particularly with your jumper game. Are you aware of your notoriety for your brilliant jumper wear? Well, I, I, it first came to light at Birmingham when, um, yeah, I think people started to quite enjoy the, the jumper shirt combos. So I tried to take it to a new level. I think if you remember, I tried to, um, I tried to up the fashion game and got a bit of stick from the, got a bit of stick from the Forest fans. But yeah, it was all a, all a bit of fun. I've mixed it up over the years. I think as I'm getting older, particularly away games, there's a thought of trying to pack loads of gear. Um, so I'll start to go in the old tracksuit for away games, but um, but for home games, look, I mean, you know, I, I, I have been known to wear a jumper or two. I reckon bring it back, ditch the tracksuit. You're much <laughs> more of a jumper trousers manager. Maybe yeah. that's where I'm going wrong. Yeah, that's, that's what it is. I need to start making an effort. Well, I need a job first, but um, once I get a job, then I need to start making an effort. I can't afford clothes anymore. So, um, so yeah, yeah, I need a job. Well, Gary, let's have a look back on your managerial career in the Championship so far. It began at Birmingham City when you left Burton Albion in October 2014. You had rejected offers from elsewhere around that time. So why did Birmingham stand out to you? Um, I think like a lot of managers, you know, particularly, it it always feels easier when you've got a particular synergy with that club, um, i.e. you've either played there or you're around the area or you've coached there or whatever that is. Uh, and I had a really good period as a as a player, you know. After after leaving Derby, um, sort of quite abruptly in some ways, but um, dropping down from the Premier League to the to the Championship and and playing for two seasons there under Trevor Francis. So you know, I had a really really good time there. So it felt an easy fit. Maybe that helped me get the opportunity because I think you know you look at a lot of managers that go into clubs. A lot of times they played or they have an affinity with that club, and that seems to that seems to make it a better fit. Um, and so that 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 was that was probably 
the main reason and the easiest reason. And, and um, But it was funny because going from Burton at the time, of course, there's a little bit of you thinks, you know, our oh, championship play is going to be harder to deal with. Uh, you know, uh, uh, is there going to be more egos there? Um, you know, are, are we going to be able to do what we did at Burton to a certain degree in the championship? And there's always that little bit of doubt. So to finally get the opportunity to, to test those methods and see whether they would work um, at a club that were obviously struggling at the time, um, you know, was a, was a brilliant opportunity for me and, and started really, you know, all those games that you spoke about in this division. Yeah, and you're right, they were struggling when you came in. They nearly got relegated the season before, before that Paul Caddis goal. You had two years at Birmingham, guided them to consecutive 10th-placed finishes and by all accounts did a great job there. So what was your secret to your success at St Andrews? Um, I think belief is always an easy word to throw about, but and there's lots and lots of different ways in which you have to try and instil that belief. But I think it was important at the time... You know, the club, I think, had hardly won a home game in, in, in sort of virtually a season's worth of games. Um, financially weren't in a position to spend a lot of money on players. And, and I think, like you said, had just lost 8-0. Eight, eight so, uh, But in some ways, I, I viewed that as an easy job or an easy situation because, you know, we just had to create some belief and create belief that the players could actually do it. So I think, and I think there's different ways of doing that. You know, I think you have to go in and be very, very clear from the outset of what you want and what you what you intend to do with a team. Um, I think you have to go in with a real positivity because you know what it's like. You know, most managers end their time at a club usually, um, you know, where defeats, where, where results are not as good, where there's a negative atmosphere and it feels like quite an oppressive atmosphere just by the nature of the pressure and not winning games. So I think you have to go and uplift that straight away instantly. Um, and then the work on the on the training ground with the players and, of course, trying to pick the right team. But, um, you know, I think early on, I think we we got a nil-nil at Wolves, kept a clean sheet in the first away game. Wolves were top of the league. So, again, that just made people think, oh, maybe this could work or maybe, you know, we've got, we're, we're on to something. And then the next game was so important. I think we beat Watford at home. So to win the first home game when he hadn't won for so long, um, just created an atmosphere where there was positivity. And you know what it's like. You've seen it in the championship. You know, if a manager goes in, creates positivity early, gets a few results, um, and all of a sudden you're on a little bit of a roll. And I think we ended up winning seven games out of the first, something like 10 or 11, um, which, was in, which was an incredible start. So, yeah, look, and, and, I, and I took a good team in there with me, you know, good people, good staff straight away created a very, very unique atmosphere. And there were good people at the club. I mean, the club was struggling, but there were really good people around that were running the club at the time. And and, um, and I think that massively helped that we created a good bond and, and, and good results. Yeah, I think it's as simple as that. Well, you obviously turned it around at Birmingham, but in a general sense, what do you think is the hardest thing about being a manager that fans don't often appreciate? Um, look, I think that, you know, I, I think there's so many challenges that go on behind the, you know, behind the sort of the doors of a football club. But, the, the, you know, everyone can only define that by the pit, the, what goes on the pitch, you know, of course. And, and I understand that. So... You know, everyone looks at the way the team plays and they look look at results. But often you go into clubs and there's lots of different challenges behind the scenes. 
And I think part of management is dealing with those challenges. It's streamlining those things to make sure that everything is focused on the pitch. Um, and I think particularly at Birmingham at the time, um, you know, there was a lot of challenges, not, not so many challenges as some of the other clubs I've been at, but a lot of challenges. And actually, some of that work goes unnoticed because people can't see it. So, yeah, they're the challenges. There's a lot of things that go on behind the scenes, not just on the pitch. And, and um, you know, it's quite, quite, quite hard to share sometimes as a manager. Well, let's talk about your sacking from Birmingham. I think we're all quite familiar with this story now and how that played out. Seventh in the table at the time. Didn't go very well for them after your departure. Uh, Talk us through how you were told that you were being relieved of your duties. Yeah, I mean, look, there was stuff going on behind the scenes. I think mean, the, the sort of new owners had come in and, and they were a lot more visible. And we'd had, a, we'd had a couple of meetings with them after not really seeing much input live, you know, over in, over in the UK. So, um, and, and of course, when new owners come in, there's always a lot of things that they want to try to change, you know, but so, so there was a lot of money they wanted to invest in the club. And it was fantastic because it felt as though there was an opportunity to move forward. But I think one of my, one of my arguments was always, we've got a lot of players here who've done really, really well. And if you're going to bring players in on more money, you know, you have to reward the players that are here and you have to also reward the staff that are, that are here and work really hard. And, and there were a lot of challenges with some of those conversations. But, you know, so, so I think, you know, I have to t- accept a portion of that blame because, you know, I was impetuous with wanting them to move forward in lots of other areas and maybe I should have waited and been a bit more patient with that. But, um, but yeah, I got told, I, I remember... We'd won the game the night before, I think, uh, against Mick McCarthy's Ipswich, I think it was. Uh, we'd yeah, won the game 2-1. Um, and I actually had a meeting. I, I, I was trying to buy a house. And I had a meeting with a with a company on, on Pride Park, actually, ironically. Um, and I had to cancel that meeting because I got a call saying the owners are over. They want to see you. Um, so I ended up trying to get out of it, trying to get out of it, thinking I really need to go to this meeting. But... Anyway, my missus said, look, you probably need to go and see the owners. So I drove all the way to Birmingham. I think the lads were in for a recovery session, but I I, I wasn't in um, because of this meeting. So anyway, long story short, walked in to two of the guys um, that that were on the ground running the club, you know, sort of took me into a room. Basically, I knew straight away because one of them had a piece of paper in his hand and looked really, really nervous, wasn't looking me in the eye wasn't looking me in the face and I, and I thought, oh, this is unusual. So, so um, and I kind of got the inkling straight away. So, so yeah, they delivered the news. Um, and the only thing I asked, I think they, a lot of clubs need to do it quickly because of course, if it comes out, they have no control over the news that, that, that they've sat you or they've left. Um, and the only thing I asked, I said, look, at least give me the decency to go and drive and tell my staff and go and tell the players um, and that was all I wanted to do because I'd, I'd obviously created a good bond there over a period of time. And I just felt that was a fair and honest thing to do. So so I accepted it. I wasn't happy with it. I accepted it. Um, and then I told the players, and of course, you're telling the players in a meeting. And I think Robbo mentioned it on, on, on the podcast. I'm not sure if he did, but he did. literally the players were sat there thinking, so it's a bit of bad because we'd had a few jokes with the players initially when we first went in there to try and liven the mood. So I think the players were thinking, is this another one of those jokes? To try and get us, I was like, no, it really isn't a joke, guys. Um, so yeah, it, it was a disappointing way to end. 
Um, but I sort of understand. That. I don't. I don't complete. You know, I think it's easy to blame the owners, but I don't completely blame the owners. I think I was partially culpable for for them making that decision. But I think it could have been dealt with a lot better. Um, you know, certainly. So where do you think Birmingham would have finished if you stayed for the whole season? Because as we say, you were on the edge of the playoffs at the time, weren't you? Yeah, look, I think it's very easy for me to turn around and say, um, I think we would have finished in the top six or whatever. You know, I, What I would say is I think we were moving in a really, really strong direction. It was the first time that we felt we could bring players in. Uh, I remember... You know, for example, we had some we had someone like Johnny Russell on our target list. You know, who perhaps at Derby wasn't playing regularly, who maybe felt the need to move on, um, and so that was the level of player we felt could take us to the next little part. You know, next little layer. So who knows what what would have happened? I think Aaron Moy as well was one. So again, you know, it's easy to throw names around, but I'm just trying to think of the type of players that we were looking at. Um, so I believe we had an opportunity to move forward in a different way. And, and you never know. Sometimes I look back and I look at certain clubs and I think without loads of money, I think actually maybe I was closer to promotion with those clubs than I was with clubs, you know, which I'm sure you're going to come on to like a Stoke, you know. So, so um, yeah, who knows? But I think we were building in a good direction, a strong direction. And it would have only been a matter of time before we challenged a little bit higher Um you know, than we were, which was 10th, or, or which was 7th before I left. Yeah. Well, what do you make of what's happened at Birmingham this season with John Eustace and Wayne Rooney? Does it feel a bit like Groundhog Day for you, hearing all that happening again? Um, yes and no. I mean, obviously, there's, there's, there's obvious similarities for people to draw on. Um, you know, but... For, I mean, it's always hard. I, I'm never critical because I'm not, a, I'm not sat there as a fan spending my money going every week. I'm never critical of owners because it's their money and they have to spend it how they want. You know, if you have a business or, you know, for you guys, you've got your podcast, you go down whatever route you want to go down um, and, and, yeah. and you're going to live and die by that. And I think clubs have to do the same. Um, all I would say is that the new owners had come in after a period of time of, of negativity at the club and it felt like there was a, they were, they were, they were doing everything right for me. They were engaging with the fans they were make, they were changing a lot of things, you know. But the, the way they were going about the the ownership um, was really, really positive, and it looked like they'd made a really flawless start um, to coming in at Birmingham. And of course, I'm sure they would have hoped that changing the manager and changing direction would have given them even more impetus. It obviously hasn't worked out like that at the moment, so uh, only time will tell. Um, but I think, you know, most fans, of course, are going to go, we were fifth or sixth or whatever it is, and now we're X. And that's what they're going to say. So, no, that's fair. Uh, well, you weren't out of the game for long. You were appointed at Derby four months later, just over a season at Pride Park, finishing sixth before losing in the playoffs to Fulham. Now, it is worth remembering, Wolves won the league that season with Ruben Neves, etc. Fulham had Mitrovic, Ryan Sessegnon, Tom Kearney, Villa were there with their millions but Derby were amongst the favourites for promotion that season so how do you look back on that one full season at Derby? Yeah I think there were I mean it was a really kind of tumultuous season in some ways I mean I look back at it I think there were a lot of positives I think we were something like fourth um, we scored fourth most goals I mean we won 
more games than any other team with three or more goals. And we had the top scoring Matty Vidra that we'd sort of reinvented a little bit, um, had, you know, hadn't had the impact previously. So there was a lot of good performances, a lot of good games. I remember us having a period, I think we started quite slowly. I think we beat Forest live on, on Sky at home where Vid scored after about 30 seconds. Yeah. Um, and at that point, I thought, oh, you know what? We need to win a few games here because you feel a bit under pressure as a manager. And I think we went something like, I think we had one defeat in about 20 or something like that. We were on a mega roll and, and we got to about January, January, February time. And I think we were second second in the league. And even I thought, you know what? We, we look a really strong team. I think we beat Villa 2-0 at home uh, with Grealish in the team. And I think we were finding a way to to win lots and lots of games of football. Um I sometimes look at different factors. I think I look at the January window that, you know, I had Chris Martin and, and Johnny Russell that obviously hadn't played lots of football or hadn't played as much football as they would like. And and they were two obvious ones that probably wanted to go. I think Johnny to the MLS was desperate to get out there because it was a real um, ambition of his. And I think Chris wanted to play more minutes. And I think we made I made a decision to allow those two to leave, to be fair to them, and, and bring in um, a couple of players ourselves. And I don't, I don't think it was necessarily players that we bought in, but I think maybe I look back and think, you know what, should I, I should have just held off till the end of the season, tried to keep them happy, uh, looked after them at the end of the season, but, but maybe just kept that continuity there because I think maybe that, and you know what Derby's like, it's that external pressure in February that, you know, the local journos, I'm not blaming them, but the local journos start with, is we, are we going to have the February wobble this year? And of course, then suddenly all the players start thinking about it. And one, one poor result, and it's like, oh my God, here we go again. And there have been a few players that have been there quite a while. So, so there are a mix of, mix of things. I don't think any one thing was the reason. Um, but we just went off the boil for five or six games. And then we managed to, Managed to get it back. And I think, like you say, really, if I look back, Fulham were probably the outstanding team outside of the top two. Um, and I just think we met a team, but, you know, we beat them at home in the first leg. We couldn't control Mitrovic. I think Curtis did a brilliant job in the first leg, but second leg, we just couldn't do the same job. And and um, we lost to a very, very good team. But but I felt we were very, very close that season. That That, for me, was you know, one of my frustrations that I wanted to try and... I, I knew there were certain areas we needed to change, but I wanted to try and build on that season because to be so close, you know, you only need to make a few tweaks and, and you know, you have another opportunity the season after. So, so yeah, it was a frustrating season in many ways, but, but also a fairly positive one. The problem with Derby at the time was unless you went up, you were just doing what everyone else had done, which was getting the playoffs, not quite get there and... and um, so on and so forth. So, so yeah, it's a, yeah, it's a frustrating season, I think, in many ways. Yeah, you're at Derby at a time when the club seemed to be a bit of a circus behind the scenes. Uh, what did you think of Mel Morris, the owner of Derby? Obviously, it's not gone very well for him since. Yeah, do you know what? Again, you know, it'd be very easy for me to come on and add to the stories and make it sound, you know, worse than it is because... You know, I'm sure the Derby fans have a, have a, you know, a semi-negative view of Mel because of the way it ended. But I have to say, actually, I heard lots of stories before I went in. Uh, when I first met Mel, I actually broached him about a lot of the things. Um, you know, I was quite, I was quite 
full um, full steam ahead in the way I said it and just said, look, you know, as a manager, you know, if you do come in, you know, the rumours of him going in the dressing room, I said, look, if you go in the dressing room, that's up to you, you're the, you're the owner, but I'm going to have to try and kick you out because if I don't, in front <laughs> of the other players, I've, I've lost it, you know, and, and but, but you know what? He was absolutely brilliant with me. You know, himself and Steve Pearce were very, very good behind the scenes. There were no issues there was a lot of support. There were actually a lot of things technology-wise at the time that the club were doing that I think were ahead of the game. There were some things that were crazy and something that's got blown up in the press that made it sound ridiculous. But there were a lot of really, really good, positive ideas. I think the challenge to any owner and the challenge behind it uh, at a club like Derby is, and maybe it settled down when I went in and maybe that was, that, that was the reason why, but... It just needed one plan and it needed to back one plan. And I think the challenge we had was that Mel wanted success really quickly, like any owner, you know, and often would change certain scenarios of that plan. Not for any reason, but only wanted the very best. And and that was my biggest thing. I said, look, let's just stick with what we're doing. You need to stick. We need to build. We need to go again. We need to reduce the age of a team. We knew that. We brought in Huddleston, Ledley, Curtis, because they knew what promotion was all about. And that's why I did it, specifically why I did it. Um, you know, and because that didn't quite work, we knew then we needed to reduce the, the age of the team and, and, and add a bit more mobility and also reduce the financial aspect of the team. I knew that. Um, but to do it so, to do it in such a big way for me was just, it was nonsensical. So, so, um, so yeah, I had a really good relationship with Mel. Um, you know, and, and like I said, I, I couldn't sit here and, you know, slate him because I had nothing to slate him about. He was very supportive, um, you know, and I know probably people don't want to hear that, but that that was the truth. I think it was just a desperation to get the club up there that maybe caused the club to overspend and change direction and obviously overspend even more. So, so yeah, it was a shame really, but but of course it's in, it, it seems to be in really good hands now. Well, let's talk about your departure from Derby then. Of course, you got them into the playoffs, lost in the playoffs, then Stoke came along and you went to there. So how, how did that play out? Just talk us through that. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I got offered the, you know, it's always an interesting one, this one, because I got offered the Stoke job in the Premier League. And, and I can honestly say, you know, it was, it, was, it was two or three times the money that I was on at Derby. But that wasn't, the, that wasn't what it was about. Um, you know, we were second in the league at Derby. It's a club that I've lived in the area for a long time, of course. You know, I've played there on, at a very, very good time to be a Derby County player. Uh, with a lot of success. Um, I coached the under-14s, I coached the under-18s, um, and obviously I've managed there. So so I had a really, really strong affinity with the club. It's a brilliant, brilliant club um, and a fantastic fan base and area, So, and I still live here. So, so you know, it wasn't an issue. It wasn't like I didn't want to leave. You know, it was a very easy club for me to see myself being there for a long time. And, and um, you know, it was just, it was literally, like I said, at the end of the season... I sat down with Mel. There was a plan that the way the club wanted to go. It felt that that plan was so far away from the plan that we used um, to get into the playoffs that it just didn't feel like I was the right fit. You know, it was a, it was a, it was a, you know, it was it was to change financially massively. It's to suddenly bring lots and lots of um, academy players into the team and. And I wanted to get promotion. And I make no bones about that. My, my whole aim to go to Derby was to try and get them in the Premier League. 
And that was it. And, I, and I'm not suggesting that playing young players wouldn't do that because, you know, we played some young players there when we were there. Um, the likes of Luke Thomas, Jamie Hansen, you know, players that were coming through into the team but were, um, you know, that weren't having a major impact but were playing minutes on the pitch. Max Bird, we gave his debut to, I think, uh, up at Barnsley in the Cup. So it was just a plan that I just didn't feel like it, it reflected where I felt we were and what I felt we could achieve. So, uh, you know, sometimes you get stick for it, but I was just honest. I had an opportunity to, to leave. I felt that that was the right thing for me to do. When I look back now, it probably wasn't the right decision for me um, for different reasons, but I think in the moment it was. Um, and so I made that decision and, and that was, you know, ended amicably. Um, I didn't want to leave. The club perhaps didn't go down that route the next season, which surprised me. Uh, but that's, you know, that's not, that wasn't my decision to make or my choice to make. So, so yeah, I think it was a frustrating way to leave the club. Um, but there were circumstances around that. It wasn't just, I want to leave because we haven't gone up or I want to leave because... I'm getting more money or I want to leave because I think, you know, whatever. It was genuinely, I just didn't see where we were going with it. And maybe, you know, two or three seasons later, perhaps that's kind of what happened um, to a certain degree. Well, what did you make of the Derby fans' response to your departure? Because you, you live in the Derby area, don't you? So was that quite difficult to deal with? Yes and no. I think, look, when you leave a club, you're always you're always going to get a bit of stick from any fan base. I think that's just normal, you know, and I think that's that's fair. I, I understand that. And you know that when you make that decision. Um, I think sometimes every now and then, I think it's easy to look back at that season. Look, I, I was brought in specifically um, because the, the style of play, you know, hadn't got Derby in the Premier League. You know, so I was. I remember my. I brought my Birmingham team here to, to Pride Park, and we won three uh, nil. And we just had some of the elements that maybe the Derby team didn't have at the time. And and I was brought in specifically to have a slightly more pragmatic approach, along with the quality players that we had. That 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 was my remit. Um, and I think sometimes when you leave, it's easy to look back at that season and say it wasn't great. But actually, there was a lot of positives, and there was a lot of good parts to that. So. Um, but yeah, look, I, I think when you leave a club, it's always a bit of pantomime, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, I remember the <clears throat> the Derby game against Stoke when, you know, all the inflatable snakes came out, um, yeah. which I'm sure were provided for by the club. I'm, I reckon that everyone were getting onto the away coach was, get, was handed one um, to, <laughs> to make it worse for me. But it was a bit, to me, I, I, I see stuff like that as a bit of fun. You know, every Derby fan I meet in the street... I have a good conversation with her, massively respectful. Um, I've got a lot of respect for the club. And I think most people, when you meet them face-to-face, -face, you have a very different interaction with them. Whether, fat, whether people like me or not like me, you know, most of them don't know who I am anyway. So that's a challenge, isn't it, as a manager? Most of them are reacting to what they see, you know, in front of the cameras or on the pitch. And, and sometimes that isn't actually who you are. So, so yeah, I, I've got no problem with that or no no issue with that at all I think that's normal ready to pop the question 
The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So you went to Stoke in the summer of 2018 after they just got relegated from the Premier League. And they spent a lot of money in that transfer window. We're talking north of 30 million for a championship club, which is, you know, a lot. It's a lot, isn't it? So how how much of a say did you have on the transfers that were happening? Um, yeah, look, I mean, the club, the club were very supportive. The club were very positive. They wanted to spend, they wanted to spend the money. Uh, I remember, you know, we had a, we had a sort of double deal lined up for about twenty-five million pounds, and the, the figures were astronomical. But that was the club's desperation to get back in the Premier League. Um, I think there were a lot of issues there. I think when you've been in the Premier League for ten years, and you've had players like the likes of Arnautovic, you know, top top players, to then drop back into the Championship. I think they had the worst goals against record and the worst goals scored record. So it was clear that there was a lot of issues with the team and a lot of players that wanted to leave. Um, but yeah, look, I, I, you know, I think there was a lot of support. Not every single player that I wanted to sign, we signed. Um, but, but we didn't sign many players that I didn't want to sign. So there was no, you know, I wouldn't certainly sit here and, and say, we signed lots of players I didn't want, because that would be very easy for me to do that. You know, there, there was a clear direction for the club. But um, but I think when you when you first went into the club, it just felt just felt like it wasn't where it needed to be to get back into the Premier League. It felt it needed a lot of work. Um, you know, I, I I had a lot of players come to see me very early on that had had issues at the club and, and wanted to leave. Um, and, and it's always hard to say that at the time. It's always hard to share some of those problems. Um, there was a little bit of disparity within the squad. Um, with different groups and different players, and and so there were challenges. Uh, and I, that preseason was probably the hardest preseason I've ever had. Um, you know, you, you had ten players, um, you know, at times that weren't training with a squad because you felt they were leaving, and so therefore it was a, it was a massive, massive, massive challenge. As a manager, what happens is you know you. you there's elements of things that happen at the club where you get frustrated. There's elements of games where you get frustrated. And one of the key facets to being a manager is sometimes being honest doesn't help, which is just, which is a shame, really, because I've always prided myself on just saying it how it is. But actually, sometimes it doesn't help. So, um, And after one game in particular, I was asked a question after the game and I just sort of said what I thought. 
And of course, it was construed at me having a go at the fans, which wasn't really my my aim or wasn't really what I wanted to achieve. And, and um, from that point on, it felt like a very difficult job. Um, so yeah, but I, but I still believe, and it's easy for me to say this, but I still believe that that season we would have challenged for the playoffs most definitely. But you walk into a club like Stoke and you spend that money, and I said it publicly, you have to finish in the top two. So what would you have done differently in your time at Stoke if you had the chance again? Yeah, do you know what? I look back at that time and I think that, and I think it was almost impossible to do it, but I think I should have almost just gone in and said, right, I've just got to convince all these Premier League players or play, well, they weren't Premier League players because they dropped out of the, of the Premier League, but I should have just tried to convince them all they need to just stay and get the club back up. You know, I think you would. I probably wouldn't have been any different. But, you know, I had players like, you know, you had players there like Chupamotin who, who's, you know, scored in a Champions League final that was on big, big money. And, you know, of course, they're not going to stay in the Championship and play. And that wasn't any disrespect to someone like him. But I knew he wanted to leave. And I knew two or three others wanted to leave. And and, and so it was almost impossible back then. I, I envy the clubs now because I think a lot of clubs that have come down to the championship seem to have kept, certainly this season, seem to have kept the majority of their star players. Uh, maybe because they're a little bit younger, um, you know, or whatever reason. But, but yeah, that was a big challenge. So that, they're the things that I perhaps wish I'd have said or wish I'd have done. So what... What was the main thing that went wrong at Stoke? You mentioned, you know, some big names being there who basically didn't want to be there. You mentioned how, you know, you made a comment in the media which didn't exactly go down well with the fans. So what what would you say was the overriding thing that didn't go to plan? Um, I think the overriding thing was the club felt as though we would just get promoted. And it's never that simple. You know, the Championship, I've said this before many a times, the Championship... You know, if you've got a reputation, the championship will chew it up and spit it out. You know, it doesn't care. Um, it's a division that doesn't care how big a team you are, doesn't care how much money you spend. So um, I, I genuinely believe that it needed time. You know, it needed time and it needed patience. And I know there are two things that are not easy to get when you spend that money. So I understand that. But I think looking back, I'm sure everyone involved perhaps, maybe would have been a little bit more patient and would have seen where it went. Um, but of course, hindsight's a wonderful thing. So, so yeah, if I look back now, you know, that would probably be the biggest thing. I felt it needed more time and more patience, but I think I needed to act in a way that gave me that more time. I know you mentioned just a second ago that you felt like the future at Derby wasn't for you. You weren't the right fit there. But if you were to go back in time, would you have stayed at Derby instead of going to Stoke? Yeah, I think, look, it's easy for me to say, and I think I would have done just because it didn't work out at Stoke. So I think it's very easy for me to turn around and say, okay, I didn't get them promoted. So therefore, there's an element of failure on my side. So it's easy for me to turn around and say, oh, I shouldn't have gone. I don't mean that's necessarily true. You know, I think you have to, you have to do what you think is right at the time. Um, look, there was always an element that I wish we had a, a clearer plan at Derby at the time and I wish that I had an opportunity to, to see that through. But football doesn't work like that, does it? You know, And these are the things that I say, sometimes behind the scenes, you can't always shape everything. Um, yeah. And you can't also, 
I think that the challenge, and this is not Derby, this is any club. As a manager, you also can't control the narrative when you leave. You know, whichever way you look at it, every club is going to want to fit the narrative for them and, and, and want to create, you know, positivity from them. So as a manager, sometimes that can be frustrating because you leave, you can't say certain things and you have to just sit there and take whatever comes your way on the chin, you know, whether that's social media, whether that's in the paper or whatever. So, so um, you just accept that as a manager and move on. So, yeah, no, no, no regrets, but of course... You know, I, I I would have liked to have stayed at Derby for a longer period and and built that. But like I said, that's it. That's easy for me to say now. Yeah. Well, you joined Millwall in 2019, which was a bit of a different one for you, wasn't it? Previously, it was just Midlands clubs, but you made the trip down to London. You had four years there where, by all accounts, you did a good job, but just couldn't get them into the playoffs despite finishing 8th, 11th and then 9th. So what do you think would have got you over the line in that time to get into the top six? It's funny because I think in the first season and in the last season, we were probably the closest. Um, the first season was the season that we, we got on a run. I think there was a lot of positivity going in there. We changed, you know, we had an instant impact. It's, it's funny, actually, sometimes when I read managers saying, yeah, we need more time to build our philosophy and whatever at different clubs. Sometimes I think as a manager, your job's to go in and affect results straight away. You know, that's what you have to yeah. do. Um, whether you build a philosophy long-term, short-term, that's up to you, but you have to win games of football. Um, and I felt as though that first season, we'd, beat, we'd just gone to Forest. I'm not saying this because of Derby, but, um, but we'd beat Forest 3-0 at the city ground. Um, and we were absolutely on fire that night. You know, we were so good. I think it was Matt Smith scored a hat-trick, um, and, you know, we played really, really well, and I think we went into something like seventh or sixth place or something like that, and then, of course, COVID struck. So all of a sudden, it was season, It was almost season over for three months, so all that momentum was lost. And then, of course, we had a season with no fans, which at, at Millwall or any club is is devastating. You know, it just didn't feel like it was horrible. I'll be honest, I, I absolutely hated, like most people. Uh, and then the last season, of course, we got to, you know, we got to, um, we were in the top six for a long part of the season, uh, which for, which I actually think for a club like Millwall, people under undervalue how hard that is, you know, with the budget mm. that we had and the players that we had to actually do that. And then we were thirty. We were thirty minutes away from getting in the playoffs. We were three-one up at half time. We start the second half, and about six or seven minutes in, I think I, I might get some of the timings wrong, but I felt like we were on a, um, you know, really good trajectory to get there. And the atmosphere in the stadium was incredible. And then, of course, um, you concede a few goals, and it was one of those games where, as a player or as a manager, you think, "Oh God, you just you just kind of know the momentum shifted and what's going to happen." and and, um, you know, it was a very difficult game. And to miss out in the way that we did was heartbreaking, you know. But 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 then when I look back to get that close was also, you know, a big achievement. So I, I don't think necessarily it was complete failure. And then, of course, this, that same summer, uh, we lost lost the owner, John Berylson, which was a crucial, you know, crucial part of a club. Um and the club just felt different, not in a bad way, because I, I, you know, I have a really good relationship with with um, Johnson um, James, but it just felt different, and and um, you know, there was a different feel about the place. So, 
So yeah, it's a shame, but I think we were we were we were so close on two different seasons, but for different reasons, we didn't quite make it. Which you know, we're not going to be the only team in the championship that just misses out on the uh, on the on the playoffs. No, no, you're definitely not. I think you're absolutely right because for Millwall to be where they are now, which is a consistent top half championship team, is a is a massive achievement on your behalf and everyone at the club. Um, but despite that, a common thing I often heard from Millwall fans during your time with there was, oh, the football shit and it's so boring and all that. However, it was by and large getting results. So what do you say to fans who don't like how you play football? Do you know what? I think that there's a large part of that is, for me, everyone wants to put every manager in a box. You know, if you look at someone like Sean Dyche, in the Premier League, people will label Sean Dyche a certain way um, because of how he is. He's honest. He tells it how it is. He doesn't gloss it up or he doesn't fluff around trying to make the game sound better than it is, you know. And I think sometimes that pragmatism um, or the way you talk about the game, I think puts puts you in a position where no matter what you do, you're always going to be viewed the same way. And I think that's just the way it is. But um, when I first went into Millwall, you know, we changed the way the team played. Um, but when you're four years in, it's easy to then go back to, to what it is, you know. So, look, I, I think the fans have to view your football how they want to view your football. But, you know, if we made five passes across the back of the um, back back five, you know, the fans would go absolutely crazy. Get it forward, you know what I mean? So I don't think as a manager you can win. I think all you can do is try and win games of football go with whatever style you think. I think I've played different ways at different clubs, but I think, unfortunately, people just put you in that in that box and, and that's the way it is. You know, it's like the time at Derby, Matty Vidra, top scorer in the division, yet will still be labelled a certain way. So I don't think you can avoid that. You know, look at Luton. Luton didn't get in the Premier League and are not in the Premier League now trying to play beautiful football because they know what they are and they're trying to be effective. And every club has that choice. And and if I go into the next club, maybe I'll see it differently or think differently because I have different players. Yeah. Uh, well, you're currently unemployed, as you say, and you were being linked with the Rotherham job. Were you contacted over that? Yeah. Look, I, I think there were. Um, I think there were discussions. I think there, there there always is with jobs in the championship, where you know certainly. If, um, Clubs will, will see what you're thinking or see how how you view it and and um, yeah look I, I think I'm I'm in no rush at the moment to to jump into something that that um, you know I'm not suggesting Rotherham now I'm I'm, I'm talking about in general um, I'm in no rush to jump into something that maybe isn't quite the right fit for me at the moment um, and also sometimes as a manager when you've been when I've been you know I've been up and down the motorway for four years. And the pressures of being a manager, um, you know, of course, they're not the pressures that a lot of people face in daily life. But, um, you know, the pressures of being a manager are that actually sometimes it's nice to have a few months just to sit back and evaluate, to have a look at your team and look at things that you need to do a little bit better and ways that you need to improve and, and actually enjoy some football without, um, you know, without the... the the intensity of it so and spend a bit of family time you know it's Christmas it's nice to have a Christmas at home ideally for the first time in God knows how long um, <laughs> so yes yes it's it's 
you know, I've got a lot of other things that I'm doing at the moment as well. So when the right opportunity comes along, um, you know, then I'll jump in with both hands and, and try and do what I've always done, which is hopefully try to make a team better and more competitive and win, win games of football. But looking forward to what that is or where that is. Um, but at the moment, you know, certainly the opportunities I've had have not quite been the right ones. While we're on this, which club were you nearest to taking over at, but didn't for whatever reason? Oh, which club was I nearest to taking over at? Yeah, big question. I'll probably say when I was out of work after Birmingham, I think I got down to the last two with Rangers, Glasgow Rangers. Um, really? And I think... I think it was Caxina that went in at the time as the manager. Uh, I think a Portuguese manager, I think. Um, but I met the club. I was out of work at the time. I met the club. I felt as though I think I, I think it felt as though I got down to the last two. Um, mm. So it would have been a fantastic opportunity. But um, you know, maybe maybe they'd already made their mind up. Maybe it was never that close. But uh, that felt like a big opportunity. Um, it's obviously a huge, huge club. Fascinating. Uh, well, Gary, you've started a podcast. Can you tell us a bit more about it? Yes. Yeah, it's just something myself, Dave Carolan, who's been my head of performance um, with me for the last sort of eight years. Um, you know, we've, we, we, we've formed a really good friendship and, and all we're trying to do is called Breaking Lines. So we're having a little bit of fun, just trying to give a bit of an insight and an insider's view on what goes on behind the dressing room door, essentially. And, and, and you know, some of those little nuances and some of the reasons why things happen at a football club, you know. So been good fun. It's been interesting so far. And and um, like I said, it's just a bit of fun for us. It's something different. Um, you know, we can't quite um, attain the, the level of professionalism you guys are at just at the moment. Um, Bloody hell, that's saying something. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll see, if, we'll see if we can get there. Yeah, no, it's good. good, good. We're really enjoying it at the moment. And where can people listen to it? Uh, they can listen to it on Spotify. They can listen to it on Apple um so yeah at the moment we will be uh, going on to youtube soon and it's an opportunity for for people to get to know us a little bit more and and uh, to maybe ask us a few questions and and give us a few topics that they want to know a little bit more about so so yeah it's good fun good stuff gary hopefully we'll see you in a dugout very soon but thank you for your time today mate thank you very much cheers guys it's been a pleasure this has been the second tier podcast we'll be back again very soon Second Tier is a Stack production and part of the ACAST Creator Network. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum.